show love to one another. And uh, anyways, it was kind of a neat thing. It also was really neat to see the folks that helped out Mary uh, with her move. Um, a lot of folks were there and just pitching in. And, and uh, I know my son, he, Jeremiah was there. He was kind of like the doorkeeper. And so uh, it was fun. You know, he went to McDonald's. It was around two. He ate three cheeseburgers, too. He was here hungry. So um, it was... He kept bugging me for the third one. I said, well, I'll get you when I leave, I guess. This is crazy. But um, it, was, it was really good. So we praise the Lord for that. Um, if you would open your Bibles uh, to 2 Samuel 11. 2 Samuel 11. 11. 2 Samuel 11. And as you turn there, we, we've been talking about ur- urban legends of the Christian faith. Tonight is not just an urban legend or a myth that Christians have. This is something that everybody has. But I believe it also, Christians at times, we still allow this thinking in our life. And an urban legend is something that's been passed down um, for what, through word of mouth, the computer, internet, whatever it might be, that is thought to be true, but is not true. Uh, it is, it is uh, a myth, or if you want to call it even a lie. And so we've looked at a few of these, looked at four of the last month or so, the first urban legend is God will not give us more than we can handle. The fact is God does give us so much more. We need his grace and we need help from others, such as moving, right, Mary? Um, God will give us more than we can handle, and he, he gives grace and help. Uh, the second urban legend was it's okay to do wrong in order to have a chance to do right. The idea that the end justifies the means. And that's a lie, too. We ought to, we ought to do right all the time. Um, there are times we can be pragmatic, but we need to make sure that it's, it's, it's not against God's word. Uh, there are times I like to do things easier, more efficient. I'd rather use a blower than a rake, right? Um, takes a little electricity, but um, we need to make sure. I did use my mower, too. <laughs> I blew it in a pile, and I mowed it up. Um, but, yeah, the third one was um, God, good Christians always feel close to God. Is that true? No, you read the Bible, even, and, and even in our own lives, Often the psalmist, he didn't, he, he was not feeling close to God. And uh, there are times where there are the valleys, and those are times where we, we don't trust our feelings, we trust God's word and we draw near to him. And the uh, last time I, I preached, we talked about God wants you to be happy. God wants you to be happy. And that was kind of an interesting one, because when we think of happy, we think of pleasing ourselves, serving ourselves. God doesn't want that. He wants us to please him and glorify him. But Satan always has a counterfeit. God does want to give us joy, doesn't he? And true joy is found in him. In fact, this week with my boys, we're reading through Proverbs, and it was blessed is, or it was the idea of he who trusts the Lord, happy is he. I took note of that. And as we trust him, it's not always easy, but we can have that joy. Well, tonight, uh, the urban legend number five uh, is this little phrase. You've probably heard it. And it is, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. How many of you have heard of that? All right. Some of you have been to Vegas and you don't want to tell me, do you? Okay. Uh, Vegas is not a city that uh, really is, uh, is really seen as a place you take a family. Now, there is Circus Circus there, um, but Circus Circus overshadows slot machines on the floor, okay? Uh, but usually seen as an adult place where people go and really was in the news I don't know if it was Las Vegas, but Nevada with uh, this basketball player from the Lakers, Lamar Oldham, that went down there and went to a brothel and uh, almost died and became very public. 
But as we think about this idea, we kind of chuckle and laugh. But I think as believers, there are times where we want to compartmentalize our lives, where we want to be one way on Sunday and put a jacket on and come to church and uh, we want to worship the Lord together and be very friendly and loving one another. But throughout the week or at home in our private or in our, our job or our school, we're not totally surrendered to God and living for him. And I think every one of us at times, we are like a chameleon where we kind of take shape to whatever environment or place we're in instead of really shining for our Lord and looking to him. And so this is, we can't just say of certain people like that basketball player or others, I think there's times in our lives where we need to think about this in ourselves. This idea is like being a Christian on Sunday, um, but conducting your business, your politics, the things you do in your family, and being governed by a totally different value system away from the church, away from God's people. Um, uh, John Bunyan, he described this type of attitude and this, 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 this lifestyle or this lie that Satan gives as it's like a saint abroad and a devil at home. It's a mentality that believes if I can keep things that I have done for others, or at least from certain people, everything will be just fine. Those actions, decisions will have no consequences in our life. Because ultimately that's it, isn't it? It's not just decompartmentalizing your life, saying you can do this in certain areas, but you, you believe that there's going to be no consequences for those actions. And um, if we really think about this, we realize that this is a total lie. right? But it's funny how this comes up. When Bill Clinton was going through that affair, or alleged affair, I should say, uh, with Monica Lewinsky and, and giving a person. There were many people in politics that say, well, what he does at his home and his bedroom is no big deal. If he's a good president, he's a good president. Folks, that, that, is not, that is not true. If he does something in his bedroom, he murders somebody, does something horrible, all those different things, that has huge ramifications, right? And, um, and so uh, this idea is very, very much out there in our, in our own lives. And, and somebody... In, in writing about these these things, uh, this is a, a lady that really is, is reading on the internet about this idea. She put ten different areas in her life that she de- or compartmentalizes. Okay, different avenues of her life. Not that it's necessarily wrong, but different things that she thinks about in her life. And I want I want this to come very practical for you. She said, "My marriage, okay, her relationship with her spouse, my kids, and how I parent them." Uh, how, when, and where I serve my family. That's extended family. What we do about our kids' schooling, my friendships, my home and possessions, the idea of where should we live and how long we should we live, what kind of house should we live in, my job or my role in ministry, in my finances. So you think about all those different areas, those are different sections, different compartments, different parts of our lives. And we have to think about all those different parts. How are we living for God in every one of those parts? Because truly, there's times we're very surrendered in certain things, but we're still holding some things back uh, very dear to ourself. And I think every one of us could say that. 
Um, she, she described it as a red flag still holding on or a white flag surrendering it to God. She said, here's a red flag. Here's my schedule for the day. If anything goes wrong or looks different than my plan, the day is doomed. <laughs> you ever have days like that? You, you say, I hope you have a good day. It's, it hasn't been a good day, okay? It's not going like I planned. I was supposed to get work done. I was supposed to do this. It's not going that way. Um, you know, that's with our schedule and our time. And it's very easy to hold on to those things. But when we are, as my brother was telling me earlier, Brother Cliff, he said, is God still God? <laughs> Even in the bad days? Yes, he is. The white flag is this. Here's what I hope to accomplish today. And if the Lord wills it, it might be a productive day. But I'm flexible. Okay, It's not always easy to be flexible, is it? Here's another red flag. I have time to serve in this ministry, deliver this baby meal, meet with this woman, and write 6.2 emails before the hour of 7 p.m. and 9 p.m. on this day. Okay, sounds very kind of with the schedule. Here's the white flag. She says what I need to uh, surrender. I'm, I'm available and open to trying new things while using wisdom and caution when saying yes and no to things and asking God to stretch me so that I die to self and glorify him. Here's another one. I think this will maybe come home for touch home even more. We are going, a red flag, we are going to save this much money this month, spend this much money this month, buy a house this time next year, give this much money away to other ministries, keep this much in our checking account at all times. We will feel secure in our financial situation. Does that sound like each of us at times? I would say so, yeah. It sounds like a dream. <laughs> But I tell you, looking back at Ben there, he got a nice shirt on tonight, Ben. But when we were out eating at McDonald's, we're talking about the cost of college. Um, you know, when I was in college, $11,000, $13,000 by the time I graduated, that was a lot per year. And Ben's seeking college, we're, we're talking now $20,000 a year. And, um, you know, a simple, simple statement of faith, because I believe it was by faith, he says, well, if God wants me to go there, he's going to provide for me. That is faith, isn't it? Um, we have to be financially responsible in things, but what God calls us to, he will provide for and by his grace. But this is the white flag, she said. Uh, we'll make financial goals because that's wise, but we'll be open to change and the unexpected. We'll trust the Spirit to show us where there are needs that we can help with and we'll give more than we planned when he asks us. We have no hard and fast timeline and certainly don't expect to be financially secure and comfortable. Well, folks, those are some things to ponder as we look at this passage of Scripture here in Second Samuel. This is, a, this is a famous passage and a passage really that is very sobering because here King David is in his life, and he's came to the throne, he's, he's been really promoted, but he's not where he should be, and he's letting his eyes wander, and he's compartmentalizing a certain part of his life, thinking that if he does something in private, it will have no devastating effects outside of his private home. I want you to see this. And Satan's so good at lying to us young people. He's good at lying to us and wanting us to take the bait and really, it can really have devastating consequences because truly uh, what's done in Vegas does not stay in Vegas. Let's start reading in verse 1 of chapter 11. 
And it came to pass, after the year was expired, at the time when kings go forth to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David tarried still at Jerusalem. That kind of just sets it all up, doesn't it? David was not obeying and not out at battle where he should have been. Um, Verse 2, And it came to pass in an evening tide that David arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman washing herself, and the woman was very beautiful to look upon. And David sent and inquired after the woman. And here's a warning right away. And the one said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite? And David sent messengers and took her. And she came in unto him and lay with him, for she was purified from her uncleanness, and she returned unto her house. And the woman conceived and sent and told David and said, I am with child. And David sent to Joab, saying, Send me, Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah, the Hitt- Uriah to David. And when Uriah had, was come into, unto him, David demanded of him how Joab did and how the people did and how the war prospered. And David said to Uriah, Go down to thy house and wash thy feet. And Uriah departed out of the king's house, and there followed him a mess of meat from the king. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord and went not down to his house. And when they had told David, saying, Uriah went not down unto his house, David said unto Uriah, Camest thou not from thy, from thy journey? Why then didst thou not go down unto thine house? And Uriah said unto David, very commendable, The ark in Israel and Judah abode in tents. And my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are encamped in the open fields. Shall I then go into mine house to eat and to drink and to lie with my wife? As thou livest and as thy soul liveth, I will not do this thing. I think he was surrendered to the Lord and to what God was calling him to. And David said to Uriah, Tarry here today also, and tomorrow I will let thee depart. So Uriah abode in Jerusalem that day and the the morrow. And when David had called him, he did eat and drink before him. And he made him drunk. And at even he went out to lie on his bed with the servants of his Lord but went not down to his house. Very commendable on Uriah's part. What a, what a total um, a contrast to David and what's taking place. Let's keep reading. And it came to pass in the morning that David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. And he wrote in the letter, the letter saying, Set ye Uriah in the front of the hottest battle and retire ye from him that he may be smitten and die. Wow. It came to pass when Joab observed the city that he assigned Uriah unto a place where he knew that valiant men were. And the men of the city went out and fought with Joab, and there fell some of the people of the servants of David, and Uriah the Hittite died. You see, folks, when we start believing this lie, it only leads to one sin and then another sin, and we try covering it up and covering it up, and Satan's having a heyday in our flesh Instead of just getting honest with God. The lie is that what happens in Vegas or what we do in private, no one else will know. Well, 
people will know. Let's keep reading. Then Joab sent and told David all the things concerning the war and charged the messenger, saying, When thou hast made an end of telling the matters of the war unto the king, and if so be that the king's wrath arise, and he say unto thee, Wherefore approacheth ye so nigh unto the city when ye did fight? Know you not that they would shoot from the wall? Who smote Abimelech, the son of Jerubbisheth? Did not a woman cast a piece of a millstone upon him from the wall that he died in uh, Thebes? Why went she nigh the wall? Then say thou, thy servant Uriah the Hittite is dead. Wow. Wow. Can you, do you hear that? So one of the things I want us to see right away is that our sin affects others. It affects others. We cannot believe this lie that, that, that Satan throws at us. Our sin affects others. Whether it's done in private or it's done in public, sin will affect others. I want you to go back now and see all the people that were affected by this sin. And really to see the, the sin from really David being not going out to battle, that was, that was not right. He's back. Uh, he's doing kind of his own thing. He's now up on the roof. He's looking out. He should have not been looking like that. He's wanting to find out who that woman is. He's told that, that she's a, a married woman. He does all these things, all these sins that are taking place, and now he's trying to cover it up. But think about all the people that were affected. First of all, David himself was affected. But we're talking about others. Verse 3, it talks about David sending and inquiring about the woman. He had to have a messenger to do this. And that messenger comes back and very clearly, almost within a question, rebukes him. And says, she, that's Bathsheba. She isn't, she's, the, she's the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Almost to say, listen, this is who this is. Don't go any further. And then there's more messengers. Verse 4, David sent these messengers and they took her. And of course, there's, there's Bathsheba. Now, some would say, well, Bathsheba, she must have also been a part of this. Well, truly, if, if you're a servant and the king asks you to come, she's probably scared for her life. Didn't know what to do. So she's affected. And then not only her, but now David's sending for Uriah the Hittite. If there's any, um, if you see here that really Uriah had amazing character, didn't he? You would want somebody like that out on the battlefield. I would want somebody that on, that, on my team like that that has such wholehearted commitment to the, to the war and to the battle. You see it here. Now he's starting to affect too. Not only Uriah, we'll get to him more, but Joab. Joab's out there having some good military campaigns. Now he's affecting the strategy of Joab. And he goes and further he's trying to get Uriah to... to um, Go to his wife, and, and uh, that does not work out. And then later we see that really David tells him to do this. And uh, we find out later that not only did Uriah end up dying, but, but other men did too. And one of those was Abimelech. And I didn't do a study on him, but apparently he was worth his weight in gold. And Joab's already, already understanding what a horrible idea. It was a, what kind of person killed Abimelech? A lady with a stone just threw it down and killed him. Um, I, I think as you study that, um, I, I did not, but I want to say either Uriah or Abimelech was, was one of his mighty men. And he lost him all because of this sin. You see, folks, what you do in Vegas doesn't stay in Vegas. 
You just can't. You can't compartmentalize your life. You are who you are, and it affects others. Not only did it affect others, but it affected his relationship with the Lord. Verse 27, we read, And when the morning was passed of Uriah the Hittite and Bathsheba is taken, and um, all these horrible things that took place, it says, David sent and fetched her to his house, and she became his wife. Uh, There it is. And bear him a son, but the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. More than anything else, David's relationship with the Lord was cut off. You see, folks, chameleons are good at fitting in on their environments and different things like that. But when you're not right with God, it it affects you. You can't live that lie. The Lord was displeased. Not only that, as if we would skip, I'd love to read more of this, Nathan confronting David and tells him he is the man. But in verse 10 of chapter 12, it says, Now therefore the sword shall never depart from thine house, because thou hast despised me and hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. His sin now has impacted his family. And this would be in many ways the child that would be born would die. His, his own family would turn on him. It in, impacted his future. Verse 11, Thus said the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against thee out of thine own house, and I will take thy wives before thine eyes and give them unto thy neighbor, and he shall lie with thy wives in the sight of this son. Of course, that was a prophecy fulfilled through one of his children. You see, folks, it started so small in such a such a lie that this private thing will not impact the rest of my life. No one else will get hurt. You see, that's part of the the thinking when somebody gets into certain sins too. thinking about just the idea of someone shoplifting. Someone goes in and they take something and maybe they get away with it. How does that impact others? One of the big things is it raises the prices of the product. But not only that, now you have to have extra security. Somebody's got to make up for that. When I was out in Montana one Christmas, we were in the mall, and I think it was I think it was the buckle. And I don't shop there really. Um, my brother does. We got him a gift card there. And as we were in there, there was this lady with a little baby, and she had a stroller. And she had been in there for a while, and... Uh, um, we had bought something. We went out and we saw her come out and she's pushing the, the baby. And as she goes out, the little alarm system goes off. I thought, oh, she must have just bought something. They didn't take the tag off. Well, she started to run and she threw down a bunch of pants and she just took off. She had a baby in the stroller and she was taking off. And no doubt they ran after her. They caught her. What happens to that baby? Something like that. You know, um, sin affects others. Folks, as we think of other sins that that we like this, there's there's just so many sins. You think of um, premarital sex. Okay, I'm talking about this a little bit in our Thessalonians class. Paul says they're very clearly abstain from fornication. Uh, have sanctification in your life. Grow in sanctification. You know, there's a thought out there that, hey, uh, married couples, before you get married, you just got to try everything out. Just live together, cohabitate. The problem with that think is in, in cohabitation, it's all self-centered. It's all about what can I get out of this relationship? This is my money. That's your money. This is my car. That's your car. 
And then when it gets into premarital sex, we'll try this out. But again, that is not what sex is meant for. Sex is meant in the bonds of marriage, and it's meant not to please yourself, but to please the other person. And it's, it's there. It's a beautiful thing. But do you know the lie of Satan is go ahead, get involved in it, but it defrauds the other person. And you say, well, Pastor Nathan, I'll, I'll end up marrying that person. You still defrauded that person. And that's a sin before God. And that causes all kinds of emotional strains and things that go into marriage. Satan doesn't want a, us to talk about that. But there is so much premarital sex and things that takes place. They say, well, it's in the, it's in the bedroom. It's no big deal. No one will know. No one will be affected. Yes. I, my family has been affected by this. Um, I have a family member that uh, when he was 17, he got a girl pregnant. 17. That is, that is young. I had to see all that he had to go through. He had to grow up so fast. He couldn't make choice. He couldn't. He didn't have the wisdom to make a lot of those choices. It affected his college. He couldn't get a good. He had to now support his his family and all these things. And uh, just not why. It's just such a lie from Satan. Young people take my heart, folks. It's not just the young people too, though. It's this idea that you can have extramarital affairs with others. Uh, Lots of times this begins with pornography. I can go and I can watch these things and it's no big deal. It doesn't hurt anybody else. Yes, it does. Uh, yeah, especially if you're married. It hurts the other spouse. Normally it's the wife. How does a wife feel about something like that? Not only that, but what about these, these women or these men that are on the computer or in the magazines? Those women are... the there's somebody's child. That is somebody's daughter doing that. And folks, there is, there is so much um, prostitution, things that go on. That's just horrible. You can go to a lot of these countries. Indonesia is just horrible. My, my parents went over, where was it? I think it was Hungary or somewhere over there. They said there's the red light district. And a lot of the tourists like to go over there just to see what it's like and things. They said, I couldn't, I couldn't stand. Why would they ever want to go to a place like that? You see, folks, it's a lie from Satan. All these things, drugs and alcohol. Oh, I can just I can do these things at home and it won't affect others. Yes, it will. Yes, it will. You think of the alcohol, the, the, the drinking related uh, fatalities. Back in 2008, it was 12,000. I'm just horrible how families are messed up and all these things that take place. You see, folks, what what we do in private definitely affects everything about our lives. Let's look at some verses here. I'll just read these here. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Every part, our finances, our relationships, the things we do in private and in public, we have to do all those things. To the glory of God. Colossians 3.17 And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. Matthew 5.16 says, Let your light so shine before men, not a chameleon, but shining, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Philippians 2.15 I hope if you're writing down some of these verses, you can go back and look at them, but that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked 
and perverse nation among whom ye shine as lights in the world. And Proverbs 3, 6 says, In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Boy, some good verses on how we need to give our all to God. Everything. And that's truly just surrendering to him. And we, we got into some deep sin as we look here. We call those these horrible sins. But folks, one sin leads to another sin leads to another sin. It's time we get right with God. Oh, there's hope in Christ. Christ was the only one to live that perfect life and to die in our place. He's the one that wants to exchange our sin for his righteousness, our filthy rags for, for truly that cleansing, those, clean, those clean garments that only he can give. He's the one that wants to forgive and he wants to restore and help us to get right. He wants this cleansing. It's his blood that can cleanse us. But folks, we've got to admit it. And we need, as Nathan needed, or as David needed Nathan to just point these things out, the Spirit of God needs to convict and we need to get those things right. Truly, Luke 9, 23 says, and, he, and, and Jesus said unto them, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. We need to be followers of him. But there's no greater joy. But we've got to be committed to him. And that starts with getting right with him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you are a holy God. And not one of us can stand, can even be in your presence because of our sin. We are unclean. And Lord, no doubt even today there's been different things that, that we've not had right attitudes, we've not thought right about, we've not been fully committed, we've, we've lived for ourselves. And there might be some secrets here today that no one knows about and they would hate for anybody to know. You are a holy God. And we bow before you. And Lord, we deserve, we deserve full punishment for everything that we've done. We deserve your wrath. We deserve it. We deserve condemnation, the guilt, everything upon us. We deserve your anger, your full displeasure. It's what we deserve. We deserve hell. But, but Jesus, we're so thankful that you came and you died in our place. We're, we're thankful, Heavenly Father, that you're not only holy and just, but you're a merciful God ready to forgive. We're thankful for how you displayed that love by sending your son. We're thankful, Jesus, that you spread your arms. You took our sin and our punishment and our shame and shed your blood on that cross for us. And Lord, tonight I pray that you might give that cleansing that only you can give. Or that we'd be right with you. And Lord, if there be anyone here tonight that does not know you as their Savior, is going their own way and has, has been tricked and deceived by the, the wicked one, Lord, that they would, they would confess their sin to you. That they would find that forgiveness, that cleansing. That they would know the love of God. Lord, I pray you do a spiritual work in hearts tonight. And Lord, do what we cannot. We love you, Jesus. Amen. If you would keep your head bowed and your eyes closed a second. Tonight's message was not meant to make you feel good. It's meant to really convict. And it's meant to, to show us that God's a holy God. And what we do in private very much matters to our everyday life. 
And God sees it. He's everywhere. He's all present. And He wants you right now, He wants you to confess it and get right. He wants you to replace those things. He wants you to to tell somebody else that can keep you accountable and help you and mentor you. He wants you to get right with Him. Would you do that today? Would you get right, start that process? It may be something little. It may be something big, at least in our own eyes. There might be someone here today that doesn't know the Lord Jesus as their Savior. They're fleeing. They're running. They're going their own way. Jesus is right there. He's been running to you. He just wants you to to turn to him and confess your sin and ask for that cleansing and put your faith in him. And that's where you find that cleansing. Is there anyone here that would say, Pastor Nathan, would you pray for me? I'm not right with God. I... I'm on my own way, my own path to destruction. Is there any way, anyone that would say, Pastor Nathan, pray for me. I want to I know Jesus as my Savior. I'll not hold this invitation too long. This is Sunday night. I mean, this is the choir in many ways. But is there anybody? Say, Pastor Nathan, pray for me. Okay. What about you, Christian? Is there something you need to confess? You can do it right there. You can talk to one of us pastors afterwards. You can talk to a friend. I encourage you, though, not don't just talk to your spouse. Talk to someone else that can keep you even more accountable. Talk to somebody that can pray with you and help you. God loves you. He loves us so much that he warns us. You don't want to end up like David and all the problems he had. God can help. Lord, do a work this evening, we pray in Jesus' name.